Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. This is our show about business and finance here on Radio 3. Well, the IMF cuts its growth forecast for the United States. Revenues slow at Alibaba as spending increases. Standard & Poor's says China has more company debt than the United States. In fact, more than any other country. And GM recalls another 3 million cars. In markets, oil slips a little. Wall Street is slightly higher. Europe is slightly lower. And bonds are little changed. Here's a tease of some of our upcoming segments. We have revised uh, downward the 2014 numbers, but we we do not think that it will be a, a downward spiral. The recognizable tones there of Christine Lagarde, the managing director of the IMF, and this one on Medtronic's acquisition of Ireland's Covidian. A lot of companies that are inverting, right, switching their their corporate domicile to someplace outside of the U.S., like Ireland, uh, are doing it to lower their tax rate. That's Bloomberg's Zach Miter. He says it's all about taxes. But former CEO Bill George says hogwash. This is a great idea, but it's not about taxes. That's about the fifth or sixth thing down on Omar's list. And that uh, is uh, Bill George there. He referred to Omar Ishrak, who is the CEO of Medtronic. So why did Medtronic shell out $42.9 billion for the Irish company? Well, we'll get details in just a moment and uh, continue a little bit of the debate on why it would do so. Our guest this morning, Robert Halili of Asia Insider, on the recent uptick in insider buying from directors here. Francis Lund, the CEO of Geosecurities, on improvements in the investment. Psyche and Simon Powell from CLSA about the price of oil and developments in Iraq. Asian markets are moving like this. Australia slightly lower, Seoul slightly higher. Not too much change in currencies. The dollar is worth 101.87 yen. That is very little changed. Uh, the euro is worth 1.357 U.S. dollars, also just a scant change. And the pound, 13 Hong Kong dollars and 15 cents of the pound, showing quite a lot of strength here recently. Well, the IMF, our top story this morning, cutting its growth forecast for the U.S. economy this year. The fund also said that the Fed should keep interest rates at zero for longer than investors expect. Here's Christine Lagarde. We have revised uh, downward the 2014 numbers, but we we do not think that it will be a a downward spiral. Uh, We believe that 2015 will be at 3%. However, we have revised our growth trend on an ongoing basis Mm -hmm. from where it was on average in the last 50 years or so, 3% to 2%. And we've done that on the basis of the aging of population and on the basis of lower productivity based on latest trends. So the IMF lowers U.S. growth from 2.8% to 2% for this year. It left 2015 predictions unchanged at 3%, and it said it doesn't expect the United States to see full employment until the end of 2017. Ms. Lagarde was asked if the U.S. then is still the engine of global growth. Yes, it is, uh, because it's one of those uh, very large advanced economies and the largest economy in the world to this day. We also believe that some of the emerging markets are going to slow down as China has begun doing uh, Mm -hmm. going forward. So at the moment, the advanced economies are still driving the show because of the high base they start from and the the growth percentage that uh, that they display. 
And Ms. Lagarde called for the United States to increase the minimum wage. And when we see that there are 50 million Americans living below poverty level, when we see that many of those are actually working poor, and when we see that quite a large number of them are single household generally held mm -hmm. by women, we believe that it has macroeconomic dimension that requires our attention. And we have to do something about it. So what do we recommend? We recommend an increase of something that has been around for the last 40 years, which is the EITC, so that it puts a bit more money on and the table. And you want to overlay that on the minimum wage. That, together with an right. increase of the minimum wage, we believe would be very helpful to kickstart growth and, and give a little bit of demand support that would not be fueled by but taxpayers' money. Christine Lagarde there with Tom Keene, and she referred to that EITC, that's the Earned Income Tax Credit. Ms. Lagarde said the cut in growth for the United States over this year was mainly linked to the economy's contraction in the first quarter when the winter was very harsh. On Wall Street, stocks were higher as corporate deals and manufacturing data overshadowed the tensions in Iraq. The S&P 500 up 0.1% to 1937. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained five points to 16,781. Ten-year Treasury yields were a little changed at 2.6%. Covidian surged 20% after Medtronic agreed to buy it for $42.9 billion. So we go back now to that debate on why Medtronic was willing to shell out so much money for the Irish firm. Here's Bloomberg's Zach Miter. A lot of companies that are inverting, right, switching their, their corporate domicile to someplace outside of the U.S., like Ireland, uh, are doing it to lower their tax rate. The U.S. Uh, tax rate is 35%, the highest in the in the among developing countries. A lot of them want to get a lower rate um, through an inversion. Medtronic already has a pretty low rate, 18% about over the last three years or so. They've already been successfully lowering their rate by uh, booking a lot of profits offshore and, and not recognizing U.S. taxes on them. They can't keep doing that forever because they can't access that money. So now we get the full dissertation from the former CEO, Bill George. He disagrees with Mr. Miter's assessment. This is a great idea, but it's not about taxes. That's about the fifth or sixth thing down on Omar's list. Number one is expanding the mission to help more patients using technology to do this. And in merging with Covidian and acquiring these assets, they get number one positions in peripheral vascular, neurovascular, gastrointestinal, respiratory. First time ever for Medtronic getting into cancer. So it can use its technology. One of the reasons Covidian area came to Medtronic is because they lack the clinical capabilities to get these new ideas to market. Medtronic has great capabilities. So Medtronic to expand its R&D as a result of this. But you're right. We had, it had $14 billion trapped overseas, couldn't be used. It's already paid taxes on that. Uh, Bill George, the former chief executive officer of Medtronic. Again, Medtronic paying $42.9 billion for uh, Covidian. In some other news, Ukraine said Russia cut natural gas supplies after demanding fuel payments be made in advance. It's the first time that shipments have been affected in this year's crisis. Let's say good morning now to our first guest of the show, Francis Lun, chief executive officer of Geo Securities. Francis, good morning. Hey, good morning, Brandon. Time no see. 
Yes, it's good to have you back in the studio. I was away for a little while on holiday, a couple yeah. of weeks there. Really enjoy it? Yes, it was great. <laughs> uh, I think the U.S. is uh, coming along okay, especially yeah. Southern California where I was. Yeah, that's where I so, went last month. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we did have some data out today. I mentioned that the data uh, overshadowed the tensions in Iraq. Yesterday, mm-hmm. Iraq was, uh, you know, was very concerning and oil yeah. prices were up more than 4% last week. So we can talk a little bit about that. But this latest data, industrial production up more than forecast, uh, output rising at factories throughout the U.S., uh, 0.6%, and that was better than what was expected. Uh, however, you do have, you know, this overhang of, of tensions in the Middle East, and yep. you've also just got very slow growth, the IMF lowering the for- forecast. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you feel confident about growth coming back in the U.S.? Yeah, I think so, because uh, when you look at the data for the past few years, you see a, uh, well, albeit slow, but steady recovery. Uh, but the flight the oil right now is really the price of oil. Uh, uh, whatever, whatever economic gain you made, uh, it will be wiped out by the inflationary effect of energy because the price of oil is now 104, something like that, previously something like 100. So, uh, and the other thing uh, that, uh, that's worrying is like what worries Janet Yellen is that uh, the growth is uh, at a very slow pace, very anemic. Uh, even though we have steady growth for for five years now, uh, still uh, some of the people that were out of work uh, five years ago are still out of work, and you do not have high quality job returning, uh, like. Uh, on Wall Street, uh, actually, the number of drought jobs shrink and the, uh, the people's income fell a little so, bit. So why then, Francis, uh, is the investor psyche pretty good at the moment? <laughs> you've got at least Wall Street close to record highs. Yeah, well, uh, the, the, the problem is really uh, uh, the Federal Reserve's monetary policy. The, federal, the, the Fed uh, floods, floods the market with excess liquidity. And you have money managers have so much money they don't know where to put it. And if, if you put it in bonds, and uh, the yield is two point five percent. If you put it in short term bonds, and uh, the yield is less than one percent. So it's much better off buying stocks. <laughs> so, so do you think, Francis, that we are being set up for a major crisis later? Then. Well, uh, if you talk about major crisis, there must be something. Terrible! This bound to have happen like a subprime or something like that. We do not see such things happening because the banking system, after the reforms and then the punishments, the U.S. government exerted on HSBC, J.P. Morgan, and BNP, UBS, and all that, they well, they they don't dare to do terrible things now. So they 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 will not do things that. Will destroy the economy like what they did before 2007. So, if you don't see a catalyst out there, do you think that the very gradual removal of the bond buying by the Fed, the so called tapering mm-hmm. process, is that happening at a slow enough pace that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that that won't upset the apple cart? Yeah, I think so. Uh, 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 still, uh, be- because the, the Fed is keeping interest rate. Uh, as almost zero percent, so at these levels, uh, the companies uh, had a few day they can borrow money cheaply and then they can expand and buy uh, 
and expand their plans and all that. So it's good for the economy, but still, uh, 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 you, uh, because China's growth is tapering, so you don't have a, uh, a period what, what you can call a experiencing spectacular growth in China and a strong growth in the OECD economies. But Francis, um, the Fed is continuing the tapering process, even mm. though growth is slower. I mean, look at mm-hmm. all of these World Bank, IMF, they're all downgrading yeah. their assessment of growth mm-hmm. in the U.S., and yet the tapering continues. Might that be the catalyst that the Fed, you know, just really wants to normalize things so much that it continues with the tapering and then starts to raise interest rates, even though the growth isn't there? Well, I doubt it. I think if, if, if you read uh, Janet Yellen's uh, 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 writings carefully, I don't think she's uh, ready to raise interest rate, not even in 2015, because she thinks uh, even there, even though there is growth, uh, there is a case for the Federal Reserve to withdraw from from the market. But but then uh, the growth uh, uh, has been uneven and of very low quality. You you don't even experience any inflationary pressure. Even though you have a price of oil rising, inflation is still under 2%. Okay, so it sounds like you have quite a lot of confidence in Ms. Yellen and with the other members of the FOMC, the yeah. Policy Making Committee. So that's good. What about uh, confidence in, in China? Because we see, <laughs> we see a little bit of monetary uh, policy tinkering there. Yeah. Um, mm. Are they getting it right? Yeah, I think uh, 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 if you look at H shares, especially bank shares, they, 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 they've risen about 10% from their March lows. But still, you have A share index about 2,000. That's, that's where it has been for the last four years. So, so, so despite uh, uh, Christ will we farm year after year, they still have not been able to figure out how to cure the share market, a share market, it has been in the doldrums for five years. Yeah. If if they keep it like this, it, it will it will be a zombie market forever. <laughs> okay, so let me put your feet to the fire a little bit. You were quite pessimistic uh, earlier this year, mm-hmm. and you were predicting that the Hang Seng Index would drop down below twenty thousand, yeah. and you moderated it a little bit. But now yeah. we're up over twenty three thousand, and you seem somewhat more optimistic. What yeah. changed? What changed? Well, I think, I, 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 I think that the, the, thing, the difference is really China. Uh, in March, they went down to below 2,000 in the, in the Asian market. And, uh, and, and everybody was crying wolf. But then uh, I think the uh, central bank and the eco- economic the, uh, planners did a good job. Okay. They restored so, confidence. Okay, I get it. Uh, what do you like now? Uh, I think uh, uh, right now the market is moving sideways. So, 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 uh, uh, what you can buy is really some uh, the Hong Kong property stocks and then the mainland banks. Okay, what about this ten cent versus Alibaba? Because a more specific mm-hmm. question: Alibaba uh, announced yeah. overnight that revenue slowed, profit margins yeah. down for the fourth quarter. Sales uh, sales were still up thirty nine percent. Sounds yeah. great, but that's mm-hmm. compared to seventy one percent in the same period last year. Yeah. What what are you uh, what are you doing? Uh, ten cent versus Alibaba. Well, I went to a uh, clothing retailer in China over the weekend, and they are very keen on using WeChat to sell yeah. their products online 
yeah. through the handset. WeChat is killing it. Yeah, that's it. that's right. What well, uh, Taobao is mainly a computer-based system mm. where where you have to access it is passive. But WeChat is different. It's it's a social network, and then you can push ads through the system, and and then you you have your handset always by you, twenty four hours, well, twelve hours per day. So over time, I think. Handset will win over computer, so I, I I'm going to predict that Tencent will win over Alibaba. Okay, I got 30 seconds. Um, Standard Poor's with a report out overnight saying China's companies have 14.2 trillion in debt. That's yep. more than the U.S. or any other country. Do we get a debt blow up in China? Well, uh, uh, the debt blow up is re- is really concentrated in the uh, property developers because they borrow so much money and build up all these ghost towns, and I think everybody's really preparing for a crash. I've been predicting this for for several years, then what, but now I'm seeing this happening. How can you be positive if you think that's going to happen? <laughs> well, I'm pessimistic about the property market in China. Okay, discussion for another day, Francis. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Francis Lun, Chief Executive Office at Geo Securities. News time now, 20 minutes after 8 o'clock. Well, oil is holding steady, but near nine month highs. Oil this morning for Brent crude, $112.94. If you were listening yesterday morning, it was at 113, Friday morning at 113. So we haven't gone up in the past few days. Simon Powell, head of Asian oil and gas research at CLSA, joins us on the line. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. Analysts, uh, Simon, seem to think that the oil-producing areas in Iraq are going to, at least for the moment, stay insulated from the violence. Do you share that view? Yeah, I think when you know when you look at Iraq, uh, most of the production, most of the kind of 3.3 million barrels per day that's coming out of Iraq today comes out of areas south of Baghdad. And as far as I can see, the uh, the tensions and the conflicts are taking place uh, in the northwest and productions in the southeast. So if it doesn't affect oil too much, I mean, it did jump 4% last week. Uh, yeah. Do you think now we've kind of reached, at least for the moment, a little bit of um, equilibrium? Well, it, it really depends on your view of the future, and it also depends upon what you're expecting from Iraq. I think the analyst community was kind of split in terms of what it was expecting from Iraq. I, I've always been quite bearish and always felt they were really going to struggle to get their act together and get to the kind of 7 million barrels a day that the EIA had been talking about for Iraq. So in my numbers, I was never really expecting too much. So uh, conflict in the north that might delay production growth in my, in my models really isn't an issue. Um, obviously, you know, geopolitical risk around the world always sends Brent a little bit higher, be it issues in Nigeria, issues in the Middle East. And so I think uh, the, the bigger question is, will conflict spread elsewhere and will it potentially impact the, you know, the 3.3 million barrels they're currently producing? And what might that do to uh, what might that do to oil prices? So I suspect the oil price right now is trying to price in a worse-case situation than we have at the moment. So if things, improve, if things improve, oil prices should pull back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it seems to be trying to price in a lot. You've got yeah. not only Iraq, you've got Libya, Iran, uh, Nigeria, yeah. and then you've also got, I mean, that's uh, pressure to the upside. Pressure to the downside is all of this U.S. production through yeah. hydraulic fracturing. Uh, yeah. So what do you think is uh, the fair price of oil at the moment? That's a really tough question. You know, on on supply demand, pure supply demand, looking forward two, three years, 
um, relatively anemic demand growth out of the U.S. As, as your previous uh, uh, guest said, U.S. recovery isn't as, as big as people had expected. Very anemic demand growth in Europe. The only real demand growth is China, which again is muted, um, and the rest of the Middle East and some other emerging markets. So on my numbers, um, supply actually grows faster than demand. So in, in theory, price should go um, down. Price should go down. Yeah. But remember also that oil... Uh, these days isn't just about supply demand. It's also about uh, the wider issue of uh, U.S. dollar valuations tapering, and in some ways, sometimes it's highly correlated to gold prices. So, uh, you know, the question of where oil price should be needs to be a wider question of where's the world economy going. And if if if, if QE, if, if easing continues, then oil prices should remain relatively high. Now, you know, the other question is whether we flip into an inflationary environment. And, and I know uh, there are some commentators saying that, you know, a price shock uh, can send us into a sort of a negative spiral of inflation and oil prices could go higher. So my, my own personal view, though, is and, and our house view is that oil prices drift lower from here based on the supply demand situation. Um, and, uh, you know, we think a normalized price around $100 Brent is, is where things should be. So does that mean then that it would be, you know, instead of buying the drillers or the majors, that we should buy the uh, the people who provide the sand and the water supplies to the frackers? Oh, no question. If you take a look at what's been happening in North America, you know, a lot of the drillers have been outperforming, you know, the S&P. And the S- as you know, S&P has been, been performing. So, yes, in theory, oil service names is where people should be. But, of course, the market is uh, is way ahead of us and is pricing pricing a lot of stuff into these equities. So valuations can be a bit stretched. And what's your position at the moment on PetroChina and CNUC and how exposed are they to Iraq? Well, PetroChina is... Um, Reasonably exposed. It has a uh, it has a workover contract in the south for, to produce about two hundred thousand uh, barrels per day. The the Hal Fire field. Um, it doesn't earn a particularly significant amount of money from that workover contract. It's very low margin. So, if things completely get out of hand in in Iraq, maybe impact PetroChina's earnings is only one two percent at most of the entire uh, company's uh, bottom line. The the if if I was an investor though, the bigger issue is with a couple of Chinese or Hong Kong-listed oil service companies that are working in Iraq. So Anton Oil um, earns something like 20% of its revenue out of Iraq right now, working with PetroChina, again, in that field in the south, which we think is relatively safe. Okay. So, so, so that, that's a bigger impact. And there's another one listed here in Hong Kong called PetroKing, which has about 15% of its earnings from Iraq, not with PetroChina, but with a bunch of other oil companies scattered around Iraq. So Petro, PetroKing's probably the most exposed if things do head south really quickly in Iraq. Okay, Simon, thanks for joining us here on Money for Nothing. You're welcome. Simon Powell, head of Asian oil and gas research at CLSA. Well, Hong Kong company directors have been pretty active over the past week or two in terms of stock buybacks. The volume of shares purchased rising for the first time in four weeks. Joining us is Robert Halili, owner of Asia Insider Limited. Robert, good morning. Good morning. Where are we seeing a lot of insider buying? Well, I've noticed that, uh, like you mentioned, the uh buying had fallen and the selling had increased for three straight, straight weeks. But last week, there was a reversal in this trend. The buying rose significantly and the sales activity plunged. Now, the buying right now is concentrated among gaming and energy stocks. As you all know, like uh, Macau Place, uh, the revenues have been falling due to the, the slowdown in the Chinese economy. 
energy stocks under under Hadrahan have been revitalized due to the current crisis in Iraq. It's interesting that uh, your previous guest just mentioned Anton Oilfield Services mm. and their presence in Iraq. The chairman and CEO of the company has actually been buying heavily uh, of the company's shares since May of this year. He just recently picked up 9.4 million shares last week at five dollars and seventy-three cents each. Okay, okay, just to give people an idea, what's the what's the number, uh, the code for Anton Oil? Three 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 seven. Okay, so people can take a look at that. Now, uh, one thing I would like to point about Anton Oil Services is yeah. that whenever the chairman buys shares of this company. The stock rose by an average of 17% three months, three months after he bought shares. Mm. And these are all based on all his purchases since 2011. Is he always a bit early, or does is he, is he get the timing pretty, pretty right? Well, his behavior is not any different than what directors do. Normally, when the markets or investors are fleeing the market, investors move in and buy in. Yeah. So that, that notion when you say buy low, sell high, yeah. well, directors usually buy early and buy very low. So uh, is uh, that happening? You mentioned with the Macau gaming names, even though revenue looks to be dropping, uh, are the insiders buying now? Yeah, oh, very. Uh, in fact, one, one stock I particularly like is MGM China. Uh, the stock has fallen by 20% since the last, this the last time the group bought back since March. Now they're picking up shares at around $25 a share. Now, historically... This stock has risen by an average of 28% six months after the group has bought back shares. So whenever MGM China buys back shares, the stock goes up six months after. It's more of a long-term play rather than short-term. Okay, what about some of the others like Galaxy and Wynn and, and um, you know, well, the, go ahead. Uh, just recently, which just came in today, the chairman of Melco Development just purchased 2 million shares at $23 each. Now, what makes this trade more compelling is that a well-known fund manager also picked up 83 million worth of shares last week at around the same price. So what you're seeing is more director buying and fund manager buying at around the same level at $23 each. Which fund manager was that? Uh, Southeastern Asset Management. Okay. What about, um, because one of our previous guests also was recommending uh, Hong Kong developers. Uh, Are you seeing much insider buying there? Well, what, what I've noticed right now is, what, you, what, what I'm seeing is sector buying. For instance, like Property Place was the flavor of the month about two months ago. That's when you saw people like Lee Shaoqi buying Henderson Land, Sanoke Properties. Lee Shaoqi is actually still active in these, in these stocks. He's actually last bought shares of Sanoke Properties last month. So, yes, I'm still positive on, on property stocks. And the reason that they're buying property shares is because the U.S. economy is not doing so well and therefore interest rates will stay low and China looks like it may have bottomed out, something like that? Yes. Property is a safe haven for a lot of investors when they see uncertainty in the market. What about the REITs and the utilities? How are they doing at the moment? Uh, I haven't seen much activity in the utilities. Okay. The REITs I've seen a lot, but not, uh, not much more than what I've seen in the previous months. Okay, Robert, you're a pretty good guest. Thanks for joining us here on Money for Nothing. You're welcome. Robert Halili, owner of Asia Insider Limited. And I've been reading this guy for 20 years. He's been writing about insider buying and selling for such a long time. Interesting to have him here on Money for Nothing. The time, 8.30. 
Well, the Nikkei is up 34 points. That's a quarter of a percent in Australia. We see indexes uh, moving a little bit lower. The ASX 200 down about a third. Not much change in Seoul. Oil prices, 112.97, so not much of a change. All right, how about the weather as we go out today? We are expecting mainly cloudy skies with some showers, hot with sunny periods during the day, maximum temperature of 32. Money for Nothing at 8.30. Back chat coming up next. The news with Samantha Butler. The British satellite company that provided the main clues in the hunt for the missing Malaysian airliner says search teams have yet to go to the area where it thinks the crash site is most likely to be. Inmasat was receiving signals from flight MH370 before it disappeared in March. The BBC's Jonathan Amos reports. It's the brief hourly electronic connections between flight MH370 and an Inmarsat spacecraft that are driving this investigation. Inmarsat scientists could tell from the timing and frequencies of the signals that the plane had to have come down in the southern Indian Ocean and an Australian naval vessel was sent to investigate its best estimate. But the telecommunications company has told the BBC that the ship never reached the most likely crash zone because it picked up detections it thought were coming from the jet's submerged flight recorders. President Obama says the United States is deploying about 275 military personnel to Iraq to protect American interests. Sunni militants are currently conducting...